You've tuned in to Check on Your Mates, a limited series podcast dedicated to men's mental health. How has the perception of well-being evolved for men over the years? How have veterans, athletes, physicians, and other leaders coped and inspired other men in their careers? Listen in as your host, Katie McSweeney, talks with them about their pivotal moments, the trials and the triumphs on Check on Your Mates. Here's Katie. I have here with me today, David Vibora. Welcome to Check on Your Mates. This is our first episode. So stoked to meet you, Katie. I mean, we've been talking for months now, trying to make this happen. Finally got something on the book. So I feel like I already knew you, but... Welcome to Texas. Yeah. First time in Texas. We're here to talk about men's mental health. So yeah, let's just dive in. I mean, how has awareness changed around men's mental health specifically throughout your career in retirement? I mean, what would you say? Yeah, well, I mean, football seems like eons ago for me. Um, I was drafted in 2008 and then retired in 2012. So although that was a short stint in the NFL, I think, you know, mental health wasn't even an arena that people were discussing, right? right? It was like... You know, you just had to touch the mental box just enough to be able to be on the field, whatever Mm -hmm. that meant, right? Like your well-being was not the number one priority. It was what can you do for the ball club? And ultimately, like, hey, are you good? By the way, after the fact, like, maybe make sure you're okay. And it was almost like that question was cheapened by the fact that they didn't really want to know the answer. Yeah. You know, and I think for me, my personal story, especially as it pertained to you know um, being on the field at all costs, uh, pain medication became a legit issue. Yeah. It wasn't just the prescriptions. Ultimately, it was me starting to numb myself by using these um, opiates, other Xanax, other things that really was probably masking the underlying question, which was the who's David without this game of football. And that was a scary place for me back in 2012. Addicted to pills, you know, had a shoulder injury that led to me being you know retired from the game. And I didn't have a roadmap. There wasn't like, hey, here's the transition starter kit for an athlete that was all in because that's what it took to be elite at your craft. And then suddenly you're like, whoa, where does, you know, where are these tools and habits that I've developed matter in a different sector? And that was a very, um, I don't know. The walls just felt like they were closing in. It felt very like, uh, suffocating, but I think that the emphasis now for guys like me and the work that's been done over the last 10 years is, uh, conversations are being had, Guys are being willing to be the sort of first person to stand up to say, like, you know, here's what I endured and I want it to be different for other people dealing with similar suffering. Right. And I think that's the point of, like, whatever you've endured is hopefully the qualifying factors for you to help change that moving ahead for someone else. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I imagine it's you're kind of grieving in a way the career um, it's a good just, word for it's it. everything you knew you're working your whole life towards. And then just in one instant. So yeah. what was kind of the turning point for you? Oh gosh. I think that, you know, first it was, I wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. It was that nature that like, once you finally admit yeah. it, you realize all these other people around you, like, Holy crap, I'm dealing with this too, you know? And, and that was a release or at least some acknowledgement to like some feeling of belonging, even if it was like belonging in a group of people that didn't have it figured out and didn't Mm -hmm. feel like we were swimming in the deep end without really any floaties. Um, But at least there was permission to acknowledge. And then after that, it was really about the work. And that's the thing is I think people can get a release. Like, you know, the real source of the wound for me as a man came as a 10 year old boy 
when I was sexually abused by a neighbor boy, a boy that I thought the world of, that I wanted respect and validation from. And, um, you know, that scar, I believe truly, I, I say this sincerely, I wouldn't have made it in the NFL had that not occurred because all I cared was the outward applause. That was the armor that I put on. Football was the perfect game. You know, the physical alpha nature, the, the, the machismo to go out and, and, and then have the hot girlfriend on the side and like have all of the image of this, you know, leading top dog. But underneath there was just these questions, this imposter syndrome, this fear of can I even continue to pretend that I'm this guy when I don't feel like this person? And I think that was where the, like the house of cards was stilted on me being known for what I did not truly for an intrinsic value of who I was. And so it's taken me, one, the ability to share those scars, you know, to recognize that there's a lot of other people facing something similar. That, that feeling back to belonging is that like, you know, the qualifying factors for where our superpowers lie aren't always in the gifts that we thought we wanted or the things that we list on our resume. Right. Sometimes it's in the difficulty of the... <laughs> The worst thing you could imagine that is actually the thing that full circle is the qualifying factor that gives you the keys to the kingdom. And for me, there was like this weird dichotomy of having the conversation with men that I really respected that were struggling too. So it showed me it wasn't just like, oh man, it, 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 whatever you've earned through sports or through you know recognition from other people, that didn't change that these men were still facing this under underlying like unworthiness. Right. And that's what led me on this quest, especially with the work that I've done through the, my gym is like realizing that people's value and worth is it has to be enveloped and, and developed through connection with other people. Like as men, when we're isolated, those demons yeah. are really, really loud. So it's about how do we move collectively to and through difficulty without a roadmap, but we're together. So all the more, you know, worthy of this mission collectively. Wow. No, thanks so much for sharing. I know you're mentioning to me too, that every man needs a mentor and mentee. So who would you say like, was your yeah. mentor and like, how did that all happen? And yeah, well, we're connected? sitting in, in his office right <laughs> okay. now, Clint Bruce, Navy SEAL officer, you know, Naval Academy grad, outstanding linebacker. Yeah. Right side of the ball, best position in football. <laughs> um, but Clint, Clint is a man who, you know, has an abundance of fruits out of his life, but he doesn't care about the credit. You know, he, he, he said this and I'll say this proudly because his dad uh, told him this and it, it, there's two types of people. There's someone that walks in a room as a, here I am type of person. Yeah. And somebody that comes in a room as a, there you are type of person. And Clint is the latter. He's the type of person that realizes that his gifts are meant for the betterment of other people. Therefore, his gifts are powerful, right? Yeah. Um, and that, that I think he's done a lot to pour into me. You know, the reason that I met Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, a quadruple amputee, to which I challenged him to work out and ultimately started this nonprofit gym 10 years ago that trains people with disabilities. Um, Clint basically... At the time, the Cowboys, Sean Lee got hurt, one of their linebackers, and Clint was in my office down in this in this building. And Clint looked at me when my agent called me because the Cowboys wanted me to come and, and sign. And he said, do you want me to tell you what I think you're thinking? Because he could tell I was struggling with it. So, yes, sir. And he said, um, I don't think you want to push pause on what you're doing out here with these Warriors. Wow. You know, football's familiar. And although the paychecks would have been a little bit nicer in football, uh, he was right. And he could tell me something 
to keep me from, or actually maybe just to point me in the right direction to know what true North was. And it was a worth that wasn't about football. It wasn't about being seen. It was about pouring mm-hmm. into others. So I think that the service component of what Clint has taught me mm-hmm. um, is where I found true, true North in my life. And it's a similar thing when I, when I try to pay it forward with guys I work with at the gym right, uh, or young men in general, it's like, how do I establish their best traits as a leader and do it in a way where it's not what they think their greatest attribute is, right? Give me a guy who's good looking with charisma, who's athletic and all these things. Let me show him how to be courageous and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the way that men are going to follow him. Yeah. Not in the way that maybe people thought before. Well, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Thank you so much for sharing that. And as you know, men and women obviously communicate completely different. And someone can call me at 3 a.m. crying her eyes out, FaceTime me. I wouldn't think anything of it. I'll stay in the phone with her. Obviously, guys communicate completely different. So how many lieutenants would you say are in your posse? People you yeah. can run into with open arms. Yeah, I think you're right. Men and women, they certainly do communicate differently. And, and where I think females, from an emotional perspective, like, you know, need to communicate through words and express right. that feelings. Otherwise, guys are like, can <laughs> like, we, uh, you know, can we go golf or go shoot or go do? So, yeah. activity driven connection is where I think guys, those walls come down. You know, you imagine like uh, going to golf with a group of dudes and first hole, it's pretty stuffy. You know, you like handshake hellos, yeah. <laughs> guys that don't know each other, you know, a couple holes, maybe a couple beers later, there's high fives and there's chest bumps. And by the end, they're like broing out with big hugs and otherwise. Right. So what is it in a healthy sense to put men in an arena where we can have shared activity, but also shared conversation? And so the question about how many lieutenants are in my posse, like, I'd say I have a, a, a build a huge community here um, of men that I know I could call on, but there's probably three or four that I would say I'm safe to land in any state that I'm in and I can plug in and recharge. So um, those that I can land with, it's less about any reciprocal like support or coaching, meaning like mm-hmm. if I come to them and I, and I just let it all out, they're not necessarily going to fix it or try to, or try to solve. They're going to hold that space for me to just allow to kind of come apart. And I think that before, you know, so often as men back to how we communicate is, you know, somebody, whether it's a woman or a man, they express, I'm feeling this way. And instantly we make a read on whether that's good or bad or whether they want to stay that way or not. And then we elicit some advice to change it. And sometimes you know, I had a friend of mine, actually, that's one of my best friends. He asked me this the other day. He said, DV, when was the last time you just gave yourself permission to be tired? Like, and you were just okay being tired, right? Didn't just, you know, yeah. grab a caffeine or, <laughs> uh. or go distract and do that thing or go, you know, and it was a really fair question because I think as men, we establish, well, if we establish how we're feeling, like if we can check in emotionally and say, this is the way that I'm feeling, if we don't like it, we do something to stimulate to change it. And I think sometimes there's this expression where we need to allow that thing to pass through us as proof that that emotional undertill isn't just avoidance. Um, and I, I know for me, busyness is an easy complex to just avoid, avoid, avoid. So those lieutenants, the three or four that I really have, you know, we have a, like a code. Mm-hmm. And this is probably a practical application for people listening but if you can talk with those few people that you think are your real battle buddies, um, you know, we'll send a text to each other that's like, hey, bro, you good? And if you write back, I'm good, then 
this conversation stops. But sincerely, you have to have the illicit trust built in where if that person says not good, we activate. And so it's a simple question. You good? Right. But the answer to it is either good. And then frankly, I know I am and I'm, I'm solid. I can keep marching on or, hey, dude, not good. And then there's a call. You pick up the phone. You know, then there's, all right, well, express what you need to. Do we need to chunk it down? Is there an active, active plan that needs to ensue? Or can we just express it right now and realize that you have somebody in me just to share with? So it's, um, I don't know. I go back to if guys don't feel like they have a gang or a posse, right. um, find activities that you like that are mostly sans alcohol. You know, if you can remove yeah. booze from a lot of these activities and whether they're sweat specific, maybe they're mindfulness driven, yeah. maybe they're sport driven. But if you can find those shared activities, hopefully you can bond with men that are dealing with everybody's dealing with the similar stuff. Right. It's just those that are willing to share it. Yeah. No, that's really good advice. And just to people listening to. So how, what is the best way for guys to kind of find that posse and safe group and. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, it has to come back to like a man that has desire mm -hmm. is a dangerous man. And I mean, yeah. a dangerous in a good way. It's like someone that can allow passion to sort of supersede logic or rationale. Like I think about, you know, spike ball games in a park or beach volleyball or like if there's just competitive flair to it, mm -hmm. I think then the, the person's real persona can show up. Okay. And I, I think that it doesn't always have to be like largely high alpha energy, yeah. but I think if there's some, some way for us to move our bodies that also can get out what we don't know how to say. Right. And I think that that's the part that's like, you know, I mean, we do a big March for Memorial day here in Dallas called carry the load. Mm -hmm. Actually that seal Navy, Navy seal Clint Bruce is one of the co-founders of it. Amazing. And you know, that's the purpose is like walking a little bit farther than is comfortable to be able to sacrifice for those lost, right. right? To be able to pay homage to those that no longer have air in their lungs. And I think that's the same thing is true with men. If we can do something difficult together, then we can talk about the things going between our ears mm -hmm. in a way that hopefully lessens the charge that the like voice in our head has created mm -hmm. saying that we're not capable of sharing this. What right. if people judge us? What if fill in the blank? Yeah. Just mutual adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. How would you say you find the most peace? I got to say it's, it's helping others close the gap between who they think they are and who they're called to be. Mm -hmm. That could be my kids. Like my daughter the other day learning to whistle for the first time in the car. And she's like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You know, like there was mm -hmm. such excitement in her voice and you can be, you know, I'm just trying to like coach her through like how you position your tongue or how you pull the mm -hmm. air through. And that's a little example, but the same thing I do in the gym People that may have, you know, never walked uh, unassisted after having a spinal cord injury in a car accident and you watch them put all the different pieces together and then all of a sudden they're doing it. Nothing gives me more joy than that. It's fulfillment through service. Right. When you can become a part of something that's bigger than you. Right. There's a reason. And maybe that's because something that you've endured. Maybe there's a, you know, abuse in your history. Maybe there's drug addiction in your, use that pain for purpose. Find yeah. an outlet that you can serve with something that's meaningful to you. Cause I think you can go to a soup kitchen or you can punch a clock and do volunteer hours at some place. Mm -hmm. But if it's, if it's resonant because it's something you endured, it's very personal to right. you. Then all of a sudden you find this logos, this like deep reason to love. And when you hit the pillow at night, like you're always going to feel 
fulfilled. Yeah. Just stoked to wake up. So yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that, how you were at your lowest point and you chose to turn your pain into purpose and what you're doing now. Gosh. I mean, it's really great. Yeah. So adaptive <laughs> yeah. training foundation was birthed because I met a guy without arms and legs who, uh, I challenged to work out with me. So staff Sergeant Travis Mills, quadruple amputee, one of five combat injured veterans that got blown up, lost all four limbs and lived, which was crazy. Um, they actually did a really crazy experiment with him, which was like a ketamine coma for multiple days because his pain reactors or synapses in his, in his, in his pain receptors were so like, they'd give him as much pain meds as they could. And it was still like a 10 out of 10. Wow. And he was just in hell. So they put him under with this ketamine for multiple days and tried to reset all of his pain synapses. It worked, but he also like, it erased all of his memory. So there was no this kind of like, you know, like men in black pen like <laughs> that flashed in front of him after they came out of this. So the joke was uh, he'd ask everybody if he was cooler the first or the second time that they met him at the hospital, <laughs> which is funny. But I think Travis's mindset for his willingness to be a great guinea pig for me. Mm-hmm. I'd never worked with an amputee. I had no experience wow. in rehab with that, that type of, you know, medical diagnosis. And... I trained him like an athlete. It was almost better that I didn't know or didn't have experience because right. it wasn't therapy. Mm-hmm. It was like him doing hundred pound sled pulls with short little prosthetics and everyone in the gym lost their excuses. Yeah. So I, I watched like, man, there was a need. We filled a void for somebody post rehab and everyone in the gym that didn't have impairment, like they had to suck it up a little bit more. So mm-hmm. that inclusive atmosphere and the sweat psychology of kind of everyone's reasoning it just made sense to start a gym for people with disabilities. So, you know, we crafted this nine week program. It's all cost free. We fly them here, we house them, we feed them, we train them very much modeled after what I experienced getting ready for the NFL combine. Mm-hmm. But the gym is something that I created, right? Being of service to others for sure. Mm-hmm. Starting a nonprofit is not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> um, but people bet on people. Right. The quickest way between two people is a story. That's why podcasts are so. Uh, impactful. I think that that's why people started to give because, you know, whether it was a 16 year old girl in a car accident that became a paraplegic, or if it was a veteran that stepped on a bomb or an IED, like people had a lot of uh, connection with the stories. So it's been a wild journey of 10 years and raising a lot of money. I think the biggest benefit is like my kids have grown up around this. Mm -hmm. I have kids 10, eight and three, and they asked for wheelchair Barbie you know, if they have yeah. a normal Barbie, they'll rip the leg out. So it's like, you know, now they can work out at daddy's gym. Like my kids don't, they don't look away from somebody that looks different. Right. They ask some questions, they connect with them, they find commonality yeah. and they don't look away from somebody that's in pain seemingly. No. And that's priceless. And that's the best gift you can give them. Yeah. I think so. people that are looking for that arena to find value, meaning that yeah. supersedes their job or their current circles it should go back to something that you've endured that personally touches you that you can help somebody dealing with a, cer- a certain similar circumstance, right? Like pain is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Suffering's optional. The pain that we're dealing with is the narrative around the scar that's been dealt to us. If we can recognize that the scar is just the scar, we may or may not have been able to control what happened to us, but the story that we have about it is the part that keeps us struggling with it. Mm-hmm. The opportunity to get out of that story is to help someone else enduring a similar story. Yeah. So that goes back to mentor mentee. It's yeah. like if people poured into you and you realize you can be of service to somebody else dealing with a similar difficulty, 
how do you lighten your load and their load? It's by helping them through that season. And I know that people are like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not a therapist or I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm confident enough to help myself. How much less help me? Well, I think it's when you come alongside someone dealing with that, mm-hmm. the tools and opportunities, they start to become more clear. Yeah. So rather than you being on this lost road, trying to forge right. your own way, you have somebody there with you and you guys collectively can make your way through it. Yeah, absolutely. Like just what you said about how every man needs a mentor and mentee was just so profound to me because it's something that I never really thought about. So tell me a little bit more about your mentee. I mean, you told me all about your mentor, but, and how has that been fulfilling for you? Like mentoring someone in return? Yeah, I think the, there's a little, I'll say this to all the men listening, because I do believe this. There's a little you, there's a small version of you that unless you tend to him, uh, acknowledge him, and give him the space and grace, right? Like lots of times we have this voice in our head that's like a slave driver. It's the you suck, right? Go harder, you know, you're not worth it. But at some point, if we were coaching our little 10-year-old self in a sport, we wouldn't talk to him like that, right? Right? It's it's like, why do we say these things to ourselves but we don't say them out loud? We'd never say it to Mm -hmm. some little 10-year-old version of us. So it's about changing the narrative with that version of you. And giving it the attention that it needs to feel like, you know, I think we all want that goodwill hunting moment, that mm-hmm. moment of the hug that's like, it's not your fault. Yeah. Like, I love you. It's not your fault. Yeah. And until you can slow down enough to feel what that little voice inside of you is saying, maybe mm-hmm. that one that you've sort of turned a blind eye or just kept down in the dark, you, you're never going to really be able to step into your full power outwardly. Uh, because there's going to be this energy s- expenditure of you trying to repress and suppress how you really feel. Right. So the mentee piece is me talking to usually men younger than me, mm-hmm. getting them to develop a relationship with their little 10 year old self in there. That's yeah. just dying to be acknowledged. It's like screaming to be like, did I do good? And like, that's your opportunity to stop and be like, yeah, man, you did good. You know, give yourself some acknowledgement that admits, and it's not in spite of all of what I dealt with, look at me. It's like because of those wounds, I can have gratitude for how that's equipped me to help serve somebody dealing with a similar suffering. That is purpose. Like when Viktor Frankl in the concentration camps talks about he was dying too, but just the mm-hmm. opportunity to give super bread to someone else gave him a purpose. Mm-hmm. There was a spiritual energy that flowed through him that kept him alive because he had hope. And like, how do, how do you discover hope in the most gnarly of circumstances? Yeah. Well, it's probably to recognize that that little you that's endured so much, like that's your superpower. If you're not calling on it and recognizing that like it's a source of genuine inspiration, then you're probably still using the same negative voice that's telling you you're never going to be worthy. And until you can recognize first your worth intrinsically, you can't develop any worth extrinsically. You can't, none of the the car, the job, the meeting, the girl, the whatever, it's not going to matter unless you feel like you're worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're adequate enough to receive it. And that's the paradigm that I'm in and I'm on and there's no like destination. I think that, you know, we had an event this last spring at a mental health thing. And I said that if you think that you're just going to one day wake up and be like, mentally, I'm good. Mm-hmm. You're going to have moments of feeling like, yeah, I feel really set. I feel really aligned and really stable. Great. Enjoy that. 
but recognize that life provides the curriculum and there's going to be, you know, equal up as there Mm -hmm. is down. But knowing that during those downs, like there's going to be ups too, you just got to ride the waves and not wait for destination thinking because it's like fitness. When people think if I lose a hundred pounds, I'll be happy. A lot can happen then, you know, you can get sick or get in a car accident, gain all the way back. It was, what was, what were the intangibles that no matter what you were doing, whether the weight, the scale was changing or not, you found merit in the way you were feeling Mm. because there was Mm -hmm. progress. Yeah. That's that piece that no one can take from you. Yeah. That it's the journey, not the destination mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. Our society, we don't give a lot of weight (laughs) in that. Everybody wants to see the payout, but then you get to the payout and it feels hollow. It feels empty. And you got to look up for the next thing and chase the next thing. It's almost like serving in the army. I mean, like, acclimating to regular life after tell me a little bit more about that and um how you found solace i mean your gym and by all means uh the battlefield that is the football field that is the gridiron is not the same as the army right right? like these these that took an oath to service that's the real deal the real thing but i'd say the similarities to your to your point are the mindset being part of a unit right knowing the person you're right and to your left depend on you you're used to giving orders taking orders there's a structure right if i do x y and z i have the opportunity to compete and, and perform well on the field you're suddenly torn from that right your identity is so tethered to that environment that you know you don't believe that you have attributes that could make you successful in a new arena Right. You know, I thought, okay, I got to go into coaching or scouting or cause like teaching somebody cover two, you know, out on the streets, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really apply. And I think that many of the veterans would say the same thing, like teaching somebody tactical based training, it matters in some private sector stuff, but in a large civilian area, it doesn't. And they're always like, you know, me having a paycheck doesn't mean I feel worth in mm-hmm. what I'm doing. So I think the the sort of underpinning is finding these arenas that give you that like guttural adrenaline dump thing. Right. You're never going to match it. Like yeah. so stop looking for it. I think it's in little ways that you go back to the fulfillment that happens when you pour into somebody else. That's the only thing that I found that compares at any level. And I and it's not apples to apples, it's totally apples to oranges. The adrenaline kick, the like, I go out and do the ultra marathons and, you know, run around the Grand Canyon for 15 hours. Like, that's the type of stuff now that I do that's like really intentionally hard Mm -hmm. to develop, you know, my little voice, my relationship with that little voice inside of me. But I don't try to replicate what I've lost in football. Now it's about how do I, in little subtle ways, know that what I've invested in people Mm -hmm. is the thing that makes me hit the pillow at night knowing that I matter. Um, and I think that's the, it's not, everybody looks, I mean, there's, there's a scarcity thing too. Like if people aren't earning money and they need to monetize certain things in their life, the last thing that they typically look at is service Mm -hmm. as being something that's financially gaining. So hear me on this. Um, you don't have to go and start an orphanage in Cambodia, you know, Yeah. (laughs) you just have to recognize that, uh, in any given moment or day, there's a passing with somebody that you can acknowledge that you can be a dealer of hope. And it may be somebody that you hold a door for that was helpless, hopeless, was having the shittiest day on earth. And you just looked them in their eyes and said, how you doing? And smiled. Like that may be a soul recognition in another that just that day changed Mm -hmm. the world for somebody. Yeah. 
if you can live in service of becoming that powerful all the time, not because you deserve the credit, but because you can be a catalyst for this energy mm-hmm. and all of it, all of it as it flowers on earth. That's a, that's a really cool way to, to look about the universe, to walk about your day and feel like, you know, there's a miracle unfolding right around me. I get, I get to be a part of it, but I have to attune to see it. If you live in service of that, it's very Forrest Gumpian, mm-hmm. right? It's like all of a sudden I looked up and I was running and there's all mm-hmm. these people behind me. And yeah, sure. If that's what you were supposed to be doing, then like make it, make everything happen around you as a miracle. And then all of a sudden you'll watch those miracles unfold. And this sounds like some hippy dippy shit. This sounds like some like mm-hmm. I've discovered this because it's paradoxical, mm-hmm. which is life. The more that I go in to, to be less of what I think I need and more of service to others, mm-hmm. I get so much more back. Right. It's that like it's a crazy counterintuitive game. But if my intention is set and I'm coming to it for the purpose of helping somebody else, then the benefit always outweighs whatever the effort is. Yeah, absolutely. Just putting in the energy that you yeah. want to see just exchange around the world in general. Mm-hmm. Going back to the whole mentee standpoint, what do you hope for the next generation of men? How have you taught your sons just um, yeah. some tools to equip them? Yeah. Um, just because, as you know, it's a silent national crisis, just the male suicide rates and yeah. just... Um, what do you hope for the future generation? And um, such a good question. What are some tools that we can teach the younger ones? Yeah. yeah. So no one taught me that when I feel like I'm spiraling out of control or I'm just teething with anger to get still and breathe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy because again, as a young man, as a male, there's there's a lot of affirmation and and actually applause in in anger. Yeah. As the this is the lever to pull on, right? Because you can use it. You can use it in working out. You can use it to flex your will and and achieve for the sake of proving that you're of value to this earth. Mm-hmm. But what if that, and I'll say this boldly, what if that quote unquote ambition was actually masked insecurity? Mm-hmm. What if it was actually you buying into a lie that the world has told you that you have to do something to matter? What if instead, when you were dealing with unsettling emotions, there was the potential in you to stop, to pause, to breathe, and let it pass through you? What then would remain? How then could you consciously choose rather than unconsciously respond or react in your life? Mm -hmm. I think the, I don't know, the magic in that is like, I've, I, I personally have benefited from using these tools, mindfulness, meditation, breath work. Not always in a triage sense. Not always when I feel like I'm going to have a panic attack, I go to it. But in a daily, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the night. Sometimes an alarm midway through the day to do five or 10 minutes during the day. Mm-hmm. That has helped me lower the cup, so to speak, right? Yes. So that when life does happen, when someone cuts you off in traffic or your spouse says that thing or the kids mess up at school, right. it doesn't overflow. You have the ability to... I have this tattoo right here. It says, everything is temporary. And, you know, that's my version of this too shall pass, right? Or every storm runs out of rain. Like we get so caught in the mental, emotional powers to react. Um, I'll give a tool to people listening that is very practical, very pragmatic. Mm -hmm. I use it anytime before I step on stage to speak. When you recognize in your physical body, because it is about the mind-body connection, when you recognize that maybe you have a lump in your throat, maybe your palms are sweaty, you're racing hard a little bit, you're nervous about something, you're spun out. Find five things that you can see. 
Look at them. Say, say them out loud. Say them in your head. Whatever you need to. Five things you can see. Four things you can feel. Maybe it's your toes and your shoes, hair on the back of your neck. Find those four things you can feel. Three things you can hear. Just get still. Get quiet. You can pick up three things you hear. Two things you can smell. Hopefully they smell, smell okay. <laughs> What's the inside of your mouth taste like? Take a deep breath. And welcome back to the present moment because your brain does not have the capacity to focus on whatever the narrative was previously that had you spun out and the five, four, three, two, one of your physical senses grounding you back to the present moment. So you can use that to disrupt the thought patterns. Again, where we put our focus and Mm -hmm. attention is what derives our feelings and emotions, not the other way around. It's when we are spun out that we recognize our feelings and emotions are crazy because we haven't rooted ourselves back to the present moment. Right. So whether it's my three-year-old son that right now I coach him on when he's upset, being able to verbalize what he's feeling. The other day he was, I was laughing with my wife and I because he was punching the couch saying, I am angry. <laughs> I am angry. But he needs to be able to mentally label the thing that's overwhelming him, because then I can go back and say, look, buddy, what did you feel in your physical body? Right. Mm -hmm. Why did you clench your fists? What are you feeling when you're angry? Then, Hey, the next time that comes up rather than him learning, because this is what we learned as kids. We learned to hide it, to shove it down, to mask it, to whatever, to stop it. I don't think that's healthy. I think it has to be expressed. It just has to be given permission to do so in a positive or constructive way. So if he can govern his understanding of this paradigm, which is where I put my focus and my attention, energy flows and emotion goes, he can become so much more powerful, right? This gives me such excitement because I'm Mm -hmm. a 37 year old man learning this for the first time. What if my three year old boy, right? Can embody this now, Mm -hmm. how much farther along in the game and what can he be as Mm -hmm. a catalyst to other young men to give them the permission slip to be the same. That's incredible. It gives me chills. Thank you. That yeah, fired me no, up too. Amazing. I wasn't ready for that to come out and it did. Let's go. Unstoppable. But um, just going back to just why it's like such a problem is because you guys don't learn those tools when you're young, just men in general, um, the past. And I just wanted to ask you, have you had any experiences with losing buddies to suicide? I've just noticed a trend by around age 30 a guy has lost at least one buddy or had some sort of connection. Yeah. Yeah. And really difficult. I can name a few, but Sergeant Steven Jacko, we lost January 3rd of 2018. You know, I wear this, this 22 kill honor ring. You know, it's certainly more than 20 a day veterans that take their own life. It's worn on the hand you salute with on the trigger finger. Um, both as a statement is something that, you know, if I'm on a plane, it's usual that the person next to me will say, Hey, what's that ring? And we'll have an honest conversation. Yeah. And, and although it's staggering the statistics, it's not just exclusive to veterans, right? Mm-hmm. Back to suicide. We've all been yeah. touched at some level. And I think it's putting a permanent solution to a temporal situation. And Stephen, uh, God, left six kids behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, the crazy thing about Stephen is he was actually blown up in a Humvee with a couple of guys that I've also served through the gym. And the way that I think the universe and God has aligned so many of these things um, for me to understand that you can love people, you can empower people, you can equip people, but you can't save anyone. Mm -hmm. You're just not that powerful. You're not supposed to. I think the, I had a a veteran who had struggled, tried to take his life multiple times. And he said this to me once he said, 
I'm so happy that I wasn't successful in taking my life, not so much because I'm alive today. I kind of paused and looked at him. He said, because I realized that if I had been successful, that the pain that was invisible in me would have been carried on then by my family and my kids. So he said, I will proudly die one day, not by my own hand, mm-hmm. but, but, but however I'm supposed to, so that that goes into the ground with me. Right. And I was like, wow. Like what, what weight that carries. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, I realized that, there's a lot out there struggling, but I also realize that right around the corner from this thing that they feel like is this cascading waterfall, it may just be some more rapids. Yeah. You know, they see it as this imminent death. And so they have to punch the clock. Um, I see it more as, you know, part of the testimony and the example that if we just take one more breath, right, one more day, um, a lot of things can change. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I, I, you know, whether it's, I mean, it's not just the suicide, it's drug overdose, yeah. it's accidental death. I mean, right. there's a lot of people that I, I think are, um, doing it slowly, whether it's with alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, I, I chose, it will be a year in five days, um, that I haven't taken a sip of alcohol. Wow. And it wasn't that I was waking up in the morning drinking. It wasn't yeah. that I was, you know, doing things that I, I shouldn't have been with my life. It was more that. I recognized that it was it just wasn't serving me. Mm-hmm. It was making my lows a little lower. Yeah. And so if people are struggling and they're like, man, if there's if there's one just specific easy example of black or white, cut out the booze. Maybe it's for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's for the rest of your life. But cut out the booze because you might be surprised that that is actually a, a very negative impact on your life. That although socially it's tied to a lot of the things that we do, it may be the thing that is keeping you from, you know, feeling like you can get your head above water. That's really well said because I feel like people forget that alcohol is a depressant (laughs) and can just make the lows lower. But no, I'm so sorry about your loss, the sergeant. That's a great way to honor him with the ring. Yeah. He, uh, before one of my vets, a Marine who had been amputated eight months prior, we went up to climb Kilimanjaro and, um, this other veteran who had taken his own life, his wife brought me his rosary because him and I were going to climb the tallest mountain in Africa, Kilimanjaro. And she gave it to me and said, I want you to bury these on top um, overlooking the glaciers. And then me and this other Marine who had just been amputated, we're out there climbing. Uh, We get up to the Gilman's point. It's a false summit at like 17,500 feet. And the guide comes and grabs me and says, Hey, Phil, your guy, uh, he's out. We're going to take him down. We're mm-hmm. not going to make this final push. <laughs> I had some choice words, expletives, walked over to Phil, and I didn't have to say anything. I just opened my hand and showed those beads. Oh. And he remembered Jackal and mm-hmm. just nodded. And we got up there, and we made it to the top, and we pulled this big rock back and scraped up some dirt, put him there, and had a prayer for him. And the reason I say that is the dude without the leg – who helped me bury these rosary beads, that man had tried to take his own life four times. Wow. And talk about full circle for him, right, to be able to lay Jackal's rosary beads down. Well, it, I, it's funny because in this moment I looked, and the guy who's lit, putting these beads down with him, if he, if he pulls down his shirt, he has a rosary tattooed across his chest. And I just thought about that, right? I, I don't know why it was Stephen and not Phil, mm-hmm. but I know that in that moment – like both were where they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I had this peace that came up. I, I don't believe that suicide is some eternal condemnation. I don't. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's sort of like euthanization for our pups right? when hurting. Yeah. Like, I think there's this strange balance that we'll never know, mm-hmm. but I recognize that what was supposed to happen did for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that the life that we get to live now moving forward is hopefully in tribute and in, in, in uh, restitution to what they represented that they can't speak to anymore. Yeah. And that's uh, a harsh, stark reality, but it's mm-hmm. also one that gives me a lot of hope to realize that like, I don't know. I can be as much of the solution as it is for me to feel like the amount of loss that I feel is difficult for me. I can use Mm -hmm. and put that into action to help other people. Absolutely. No, that's really well said. Mm -hmm. Something I can relate to as well. So yeah. What would you say to a buddy that is suicidal? And I feel like a lot of guys don't know when their buddy is suicidal too. Mm -hmm. What would you say is like a good way for someone to check on their mate? I mean, I think the, if you have the rapport with someone to be able yeah. to straight up ask the question, do it. But know that the answer may be that person sort of just like positioning themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that getting face to face, like connecting, if you yeah. have the cap- capacity to be able to do something in activity together, that is always the best way to really get the feeling of mm-hmm. that person. Read that aura, their energy, right. the things they're saying, the the comments they're making, the kind of fleeting, is that laugh sincere thing? Yeah. Because I think if not, you'll know the difference of somebody that's just propagating and putting on. Um, I think the, I don't know, the, 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 maybe the better question is like an exercise I do with people is this, like mm-hmm. David with my gym is blank and fill in what that is. David without my gym, right? If my gym no longer exists, you're like, who am I without those things? And then I can play that scenario at nauseum to all the different things, both outside in my life, you know, outside meaning like David with his family is this, David without his family is this. And, and what, it, what I think that exercise does is it can help you understand that we are so all the time allowing what it is in our life, the roles that we play to be these um, kind of snapshots of whether we're happy or not or whether we're fulfilled or not. But that goes back to extrinsic worth, value, and motivation. That can be empty. That can be hollow and going back to intrinsic. So the, the, the real exercise of checking on your mates is yeah. asking them questions that makes them have to look at who they are without the things that are going wrong in their life. Because mm-hmm. if we're honest about it, most of the time, the circumstances in our life, the circumstantiality of it is what's telling us we're not worthy. We're not this. We're not that. And I'll be real with you, like in the, in the, in the mental health space, and I've done a ton of these, um, the plant medicine side of this, the psychedelic use. I mean, whether that's ayahuasca that I've sat in ceremony more than a dozen times or ibogaine or 5-MeO, you know, using those as tools, those can be great escape routes too, but you have to be come back to this reality. You got to try to integrate what, what all of those are doing are giving you just hopefully a little bit of a different perspective Mm -hmm. so that you can see the narrative differently, choose differently and hopefully heal from whatever was done to you with the idea that then the medicine that's within you then can heal others and the outside world. At least that's my, that's why I came to those teachers. So checking on your mates is, how do I, you know, with, you know, my best friend or just someone that I'm close with ask a question that they can answer, but I'm really asking two layers below that question. Right. And maybe that is, Hey, you know, if, if all of this was taken away, who are you underneath all that? And if they can't answer that question, then maybe that's the, the fundamental, like, Hey dude, give yourself a little bit of grace. I don't know if yeah. I can answer that either. 
Or, hey, man, I've struggled with that same thing. And it wasn't until I started to go and volunteer at this basketball center and help kids and started coaching these kids that I realized, like, oh, man, I actually am a good person. You know? No, that's awesome. Because everyone's saying, oh, call the hotline, do this. But, like, does that really do anything? Maybe it does if there's just, like, I need someone on the phone now and I don't have someone to call. Right? So, and and it's a good thing to have. I just go back to if it's not somebody that that can help you to see like that your worth in your maker's eyes or whether you believe in a higher power or not, like just the fact that you as a human have value. If there's not somebody that you can talk to, then maybe the hotline is the place for you to call. Right. Um, but I think it's, it's just about going back into relationship with people and letting them recognize that a lot they're struggling with a lot of the same things. Yeah. Just that sense of community. Yeah. Yeah. That girls easily have, but that's a great advice to men listening here. Yeah. And also for the girl listeners too. I mean, I'm, I know your wife who was at the time, your girlfriend really helped you at Lois. What are some things that she did to really help you and yeah. how can spouses, girlfriends help the men in their life? Yeah. It's, I think it's, man, that's such a good question. My wife for me probably did more, I guess I was just sort of seeing like if I wasn't David, the football player, like, did she love me? If I wasn't David fill in the blank, like, you know, did I have any status or stature and enough for like for, for her to want to show up? And it was clear to me that like the unconditional part, the part to me that she saw beyond any of those roles that I played was the part that gave me hope that she was there for the right reasons. Um, And I also think that through my ability to be okay saying like I am falling apart, Mm -hmm. she was able to share some of her own stuff and issues. And then we began to address those collectively too. So it doesn't have to be gender specific. It can be like, you know, I'm willing to share my scars and then you're able to share yours. And then we source power because we're two people who have come together that said I'm not good. Then suddenly there's this superpower that comes in. Um, That's probably the biggest support that she's been for me and also like she said something to me she's never been addicted to drugs when i was coming out of rehab i I used to say to her like you just don't understand and it was sort of this like badge Mm -hmm. of i could i could because i'd gone through something she hadn't i could stand fast in this like you just you know you don't know the depths Mm -hmm. of this and she had to say to me like yeah but do you want me to yeah Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i was like oh god no like i wouldn't want anybody to feel that like, you know, no, you don't want anybody to have to feel this heaviness, this weight of depression or anxiety or these other things. So it's probably more about you expressing what you feel and just giving permission to somebody that doesn't understand, but mm-hmm. just for them to be there for you, that it's like, it's as much on you giving that person permission to be there for you mm-hmm. as it is for them to be there for you. No, absolutely. Yeah. It just comes into like vulnerability on both sides. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. people just won't know. I mean, in my situation, I was just as shocked. So it's yeah. always like the hindsight that gets us. Yeah. So speak to your situation a little bit. Cause I think, you know, yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of like my why behind it. I mean, similar to you, just like, I prayed for my pain to be turned into purpose. I said that prayer and God answered it the next day. Um, and just going back to his memorial, um, one of his friends, who's an Aussie dude, said, check on your mates, man, check on your mates. And then that just stuck with me. Yeah. And 
I, it's not putting the responsibility on the buddies. Like, I don't want that to be implied by the name. It's just like, how can we check collectively, like as humans in on with each other and especially men, because there's plenty of charities for females, but none for men specifically. And they're the majority of suicides and men are villainized in modern media. And everyone's like, I hate men. I mean, I'm sure I've been guilty of saying something like that. And like, no one's perfect, but it's just been a problem where men in reality need the most help. And of course, just the communication barriers and with society drilling in like tough, like if you fall off a bike just to get right up and it's no one's fault and it's not the men um, in past generations fault either. But like, how can we change that for the future collectively? It just gets me fired up and a lot of hope, like, like you're saying, teaching your sons meditation and just awareness and um, just how can we bring that sense of community and vulnerability? Because that has to come from both sides too. Yeah. I think the question is like, how do you as a man defend the weak? Yeah. Right. How, how do you, right. how do you stand up with valor um, and, and defend what you believe in, but do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're trying to, you know, uh, take over the capital. <laughs> like yeah. how do you do it in a way where, uh, it, it's also acknowledging that there's other humans and their feelings involved. Right. I think it's, I think again, it, it goes back to if you feel called, then your version of what's happened to you in reality or in honest, honesty and re in earnest, you know, kind of vulnerability. If you can share that, then you're part of the solution. Yeah. If you're just trying to use statistics, research, and modalities or whatever to solve something, but mm -hmm. you haven't been willing to share what it is that personally called you to it. Yeah. I don't think people are going to believe you. True. Right. Like science for science sake. Like I would much rather take the doctor who became a doctor later in life because mm -hmm. they had to face the same type of cancer that I was facing. Right? right. I would take that person's word over somebody who's at the you know top practice or institution mm -hmm. in the world. So with mental health, it, this is the other thing I'll say, like, here in Texas, we get crazy hail <laughs> and you may get hail damage on your roof at your house and you get six different quotes before you end up finding the one that you go with. Um, we're, with doctors, especially mental health, it's like the first person they talk to, they're like, well, here's this, you know, laundry list of medications that we have for, yeah. and they're like, oh, well, the doctor told me. And again, I'm not saying doctors don't have a role to play. They certainly do. Medications and chemical imbalances are real. Yes. And I think that, again, that doctor is doing this cop-out thing that is, I'm going to instill this as the silver bullet and not give you any of what we're talking about here. Right. It's both and, right? What if we started with the ability to do activity, right? Find holistic methods to help moderate some of the chemical imbalances and just be real about what it is, speak up about the shit in our head. I don't think cognitive behavioral therapists, like true like psychologists, sit down and, well, let's go back to it and tell me. Because I think as you're saying it, your body's reliving it. Mm -hmm. I think that you know psychosomatic-based healing mechanisms this is why my gym works. The psychosocial part, that steel bar that's 45 pounds, it's the same for me as it is for you, Katie McSweeney. <laughs> it's the same no matter what your you're bank like, account says, <laughs> right? what your skin color is. And so as an equalizer, that to me is this like... If you're willing to do the work, you have a voice in the space. I think doctors sit back mm -hmm. and they prescribe things, right? They enlist things that are supposed to help you. 
but then you're isolated on your own, just blindly trusting this thing. So how do you integrate with community, find good holistic tools, habits, breath work, yoga, exercise, you know, fill in the blank and maybe have a medication too, yeah. right? That is in tandem and parallel. That's for a cycle or a season mm-hmm. and you reassess constantly. It's this sort of inclusive arena for what could move the bar in the right direction. Not just, oh gosh, I'm, I'm broken. If I take this medication, I'm going to be fixed. It doesn't work like that. Right. No, just a much more holistic approach and just also community. I mean, just Mm -hmm. isolation. I was reading like men who are divorced, for example, or just alone are more likely to die by suicide. So just really having that sense of community and reaching out. Idle hands is the devil's playground. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, but, but that's, what's crazy is thinking back to what I said earlier, which is how can I not have to be incessantly busy to avoid whatever that still small voice is in silence. So there, the practice, the intentionality, the tending to your own garden is that if I don't pull some of these weeds, if I don't get still and hang out in the garden to assess my plants, I I can keep dumping miracle grow on them. Right. And being pissed off when everything else is growing rampant, or I can tend to the slowing down and doing the hard work. It's necessary to prune Mm -hmm. to these things. Nobody wants to do the pruning. It's not sexy. It's not fun. It's not the part that gets Instagram posted, <laughs> but it is the part that you curates the mental landscape for you to be stable and understand that life is going to happen. And so when those storms come, you at least have the tools and habits to be in the right standing. No, absolutely. It's really well said yeah. to you know accommodate any professional help, of course. And I wanted to ask you one last question. What, describe to me an unforgettable experience. Mm. Well, I had no kids last night, my <laughs> wife and I. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, that's actually a fact too. But uh, unforgettable experiences. To me, peak experiences don't have to be um, so immersive or like unmeasurable because like we use these crazy words all the time, right? Epic, yeah. amazing, <laughs> things are absurd, like – And I think that we're always trying to trump whatever the last word was that we used in a poster to represent some experience. To me, uh, an amazing experience is one that I question whether I should be there at all while I'm in it. That shows me that the nuance, the way that I'm having to relate to this in real time creates a flow state. It makes me have to lock in mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically in a way that takes all of me, mm-hmm. right? I, I mentioned running the Grand Canyon uh, just recently. And so we started on one side, ran to the other rim, and then ran back in about 12 hours. So it was just under 50 miles. Crazy task. But there was many moments, whether it was cramping, locking down, body failing, that you question whether you're going to make it out of that experience. And all the more that eventually when you reach the car – all the more meaningful that it is. And so I think the same thing is true. You know, my kids, just the other night, my 10-year-old, I was going up to tuck her in to say goodnight, and I noticed her picture collage, which has pictures of our family and and everyone. Um, I noticed that my face and my wife's face were scratched out in Sharpie. (laughs) I was like, whoa, wait a second. (laughs) And in this moment, I asked her sister to go to her room, and I looked at my 10-year-old and I said, would you like to tell me when you did this? Bottom lip. Started to quiver, oh. right? She, I said, she said it was two weeks ago when her phone got taken away because she got in trouble for some videos that her and her friends had made and it was guilt by association. That's another part mm-hmm. of the lesson. But I got to have this moment with her. 
And the moment was, okay, what were you feeling when you did this? To the anger that I hated you guys, that my world was shutting down. And so I said, okay, so in that moment, you chose to take an action to do this, right? Because in this moment, you, you assigned so much meaning to what you were feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes. So then that was the moment when I said, but, and I said it just like that. She kind of startled. I smiled. And I said, I'm all about second chances. What does perspective mean? She kind of shook her head. I said, well, perspective means that even though you felt that way, what you did in action, right, you don't feel good about today. So the perspective is next time I feel in this very kind of insurmountable, overwhelming way, maybe I don't act upon that, right? That's part of the lesson here. I said, so part of that means that I'm not going to allow you to take these pictures down. (laughs) This is going to stay, okay, which is a little bit of the harsh dad reality of it. But I did with her, right, an example of teaching yeah, it hurt me. And I expressed that. Honey, this hurts mommy and daddy, right? This doesn't make us feel good. We provide for you. We do all these things. We do. And, and then this is how you feel. And this is how you act. So I guess the example in that is I was able to love her well, even though I had to make it very clear that, this, that I was disappointed. And I think the same thing is back to tending to our little self. If we can do this for ourselves, when we recognize damn it, I'm doing it again. Or I just, I can't figure out why I, why I feel the way that I feel. Maybe it's going back to some grace for, and curiosity to go back to some of those childhood wounds. And if you start there, maybe then you'll find a little bit of a course correction for the ways and the actions that you've been taking. You know, maybe a chasing the next relationship isn't the place that you should be because you're just looking to distract to find somebody to fill a void that they're never going to fill. Right. Maybe it's, I want to recognize I'm going to be mm-hmm. single for six months and do this intentional mindfulness practice, do these other mm-hmm. things, begin to write and journal in a way that helps me to see the patterns of the things so I can choose better next time. Yeah. That's becoming a conscious human being. And I just have a lot of respect for that. Those are the type of people that I want to be around. That's awesome. Yeah. What is a hard decision that you had to make but are glad that you did? I think checking myself into treatment for the opiates and the drugs was huge. I mean, you have this stigma about, you know, and, and I'll say this to people. There's, there's some great inpatient. There's some great outpatient programs. There's bad inpatient, bad outpatient programs too. You know, 12-step as it pertains to whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, uh, NA, um, or, you know, Sexaholics Anonymous, whatever, like, Someone like me that I think toes this line between an addictive personality because I can be so all in on something mm-hmm. that if it's for the sake of charity and raising money and serving people, like that's a constructive arena to place that energy and attention, right? If I look at it in you know self, you know pleasure seeking and 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 self gain, I'll run myself into the ground because you know pleasure for pleasure's sake is just addiction at its best. So it's the understanding that. Where can I find, you know, um, that my greatest gifts are also my greatest weaknesses, but I have to call them into action in the right percentage mm-hmm. at the right time. Having someone like my wife is really key because she can, you know, she knows who yeah. she married and she can help me place some left and right lateral limits. But I think the, um, yeah, the choice is more on, am I picking this up because it's habitual or am I intentional, intentionally grabbing for it because today it's the thing that I'm supposed to do? And that takes a lot of time and just kind of emotional intelligence. No, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all your insight and just wanted to end just on a lighter note. So I had one last question for you. What's a funny story that only your family knows about you? 
A funny story that only my family <laughs> knows about me. Really great question. Um, it, <laughs> well, I'm yeah. Curious, so actually. back to growing up as a kid, uh, when I was basically, I think I was probably eight or nine years old mm-hmm. and, uh, I went over to my neighbor's house and they, I never had pistachios before. And so pistachios, I just I couldn't believe how amazing these things were. And my mom called. It was time for me to come back. I eventually come home, but I had my fix for pistachios. So it was later on, and I fake crashed my bike in front of the neighbor's house so that the lady would come out and be like, are you okay, right? And what do you need? I'm like, oh, I think I need some more pistachios. So I get some more pistachios. I get called back again. My mom's like, God, get home, right? I finally get home and I called the neighbors and I said, hey, look, my mom has a recipe. She's cooking pistachio soup. I said, uh, could we borrow a cup of pistachios, right? Totally took it on myself. I go over to get the cup of pistachios, come back. My mom's like, pistachio soup, huh? And so the, the reason I tell that story is your boy, your boy was a little bit of a storyteller as a kid. And the pistachio soup thing was interesting because I realized like you can have influence and persuasion and like when you find something that you like there's a lot of ways to kind of deal the game and as a young kid I realized like I could use my sort of charisma and capability and capacities to like to get what I wanted I think the difference that changed for me in that was the recognizing that like if I do something that I want to do but it actually betters somebody else in the end then those pistachios like they never stop coming and um yeah, that's the, I don't know, the, the purpose today is like, I can find that so much of what I've been able to experience, it's amazing. And so mm-hmm. much of the difficulties of it, the way that I position the story to other people can give them excitement, enthusiasm for life, and hopefully a joy to take on whatever it is that they feel like is unfathomable or too big. And that's the piece that I'm going to keep doing and keep trying to encourage people through. I love that. Keep looking for the pistachios. Yeah, pistachio soup. Shout out to uh, Karen next door and the pistachios that she keeps abundant. I love that. Well, David, it was a pleasure having you on. And yeah, reminder, check on your mates, guys. Check on your mates. Yeah, that's it. And figure out a way that's personal to you. Don't, you know, I think all the ideas that we've shared today, there's probably a couple that stuck or a couple that were like, oh, yeah, I could do that. And I love that what you said, it's like in the moment of the deepest pain, you were able to pull out the check on your mates mm-hmm. and then now put purpose and infrastructure behind helping people. Absolutely. So Just even you. one person, you know, that's all that matters. That's right. So, and same with you, what you're doing with ATF, go um, on adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Check yeah. it out. If you're in Dallas, check out the gym. Really amazing work, what he's doing. Thanks, Katie. Yeah. Rocking. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. And the pistachio soup thing was interesting because I realized like you can have influence and persuasion. And like when you find something that you like, there's a lot of ways to kind of deal the game. And as a young kid, I realized like I could use my sort of charisma and capability and capacities to like to get what I wanted. I think the difference that changed for me in that was the recognizing that like if I do something that I want to do, but it actually betters somebody else in the end, then those pistachios, like they never stop coming. And um, yeah, that's the, I don't know, the, the purpose today is like, I can find that so much of what I've been able to experience, it's amazing. And so mm-hmm. much of the difficulties of it, 
the way that I position the story to other people can give them excitement, enthusiasm for life, and hopefully a joy to take on whatever it is that they feel like is unfathomable or too big. And that's the piece that I'm going to keep doing and keep trying to encourage people through. I love that. Keep looking for the pistachios. Yeah, <laughs> pistachio soup. Shout out yeah. to uh, Karen next door <laughs> and the pistachios that she keeps abundant. I love cool. that. Well, David, it was a pleasure having you on. And yeah, a reminder, check on your mates, guys. <laughs> check on your mates. Yeah, that's it. And figure out a way that's personal to you. Don't, you know, I think all the ideas that we've shared today, there's probably a couple that stuck or yeah. a couple that were like, oh yeah, I could do that. And I love that what you said, it's like in the moment of the deepest pain, you were able to pull out the check on your mates mm -hmm. and then now put purpose and infrastructure behind helping people. Absolutely. So Just even you. one person, you know, that's all that matters. That's right. So, and same with you, what you're doing with ATF, go um, on adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. Yeah, Is it? you got it. Yeah. Check yeah. it out. If you're in Dallas, check out the gym. Really amazing work, what he's doing. Thanks, Katie. Yeah. Rocking. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Thank you.